Hey, what's happening, guys? All right, share a cup of coffee with you this morning. It's been um, too long since I've sat down and and uh, done some solos, but uh, here before season, I want to make sure that I get some solos out. And I'm actually going to do some solos on specific species podcasts. So um, I'm going to do one on on mule deer. I'm going to do one on antelope, and I'm going to do one on elk. So I'm going to work hard to get those out before those seasons open to hopefully help you guys in your journey. So uh, we'll get this one started out. So today's podcast, well, the goal of it, who knows where the direction will go once I get talking, but uh, uh, I definitely want to talk. Never did like a Hawaii recap, so kind of want to talk a little bit about that and that amazing experience I had. Uh, Just talk about what's going on in my life. Um, As far as building, construction, scouting, management, I want to get into scouting a bit and then get into some of the finer points of uh, spot and stock archery, into stalking. Um, It's so crucial, so key, and one of the most exciting elements of the bow hunting we do. So uh, that's going to be the podcast here once we get it started. Just want to thank a couple of my sponsors. I want to thank Cryptech. Uh, Cryptech has put together the best technical mountaineering system I have ever had. I am so impressed by the gear. Uh, I love the uh, Obscura transitional camo pattern. That camo pattern is a real light camo pattern. Seems to do real good in dry environments. And uh, I seem to really blend in with my surroundings. Uh, they also um, have the altitude. So the altitude is a, a great pattern. It's um it's greener and a bit darker, and it seems to really blend into the darks out there. Um, so uh, I really like uh, how it blends into the timber, how it blends into the shadows. And as I look at photos of last year, um, I blend in really good with my surroundings. So great camo patterns. They have all the necessary gear for hot weather, the Sonoran sun shirt, uh, the Sonoran pants breathe really well. So great for hot weather. That's what I used in Hawaii. Uh, Also have uh, everything I need for my August, my September, and then into my October and November. They've got all the different layers. In fact, they've got a puffy vest they're sending to me now that I can add to my arsenal for another insulating layer. But the best puffy jackets, they're cut long. They're cut over my my butt, so they keep me warmer uh, down low. Great insulating value, hoods, great fit, uh, really impressed by those, uh, really like their rain jackets, uh, they're made with the shoulder fabric, and the shoulder fabric is just a, a great performing fabric for uh, wet weather, uh, so really impressed by those, they have puffy pants this year, which is great, uh, those really make a difference when sitting on the vantage point, uh, when sitting, when around camp, uh, when I stop moving, when it gets cold, or for that bitter cold weather wearing them, so uh, really impressed uh, the the Bear pants, just a great pant that is non-restrictive. And you think of pants that restrict your legs on every step, uh, it's going to create more fatigue on you. So anyways, I'm so impressed with Cryptech. I got to go um, hang out with um, Justin this weekend. I saw him, sat in for one of my talks uh, over there at Black Rifle Coffee Company. 
And uh, that guy's a, a hunter himself. Like he texted me after the talk and he's like, these are my, my couple takeaways. This is what I need to implement. A true student of the game that's trying to be the best bow hunter he can be and uh, just a great human being. So I hit him up to be on the podcast. And so we'll we'll get him on. Um, gosh, he just bow hunts elk in some crazy places. So uh, I want to get him on the podcast and have a conversation. But a great company. I'm so pumped to be partnered with these guys. So if you're in the market for... For any new gear, make sure to go check out Cryptek. I also want to thank Matthews. Uh, Matthews, um, gosh, I'm so impressed by these bows. I've been using them the last six seasons or so, and the the um, the last five years have been incredible with these bows and this platform that they're creating. And every year they seem to outdo themselves. And this year's bow is an absolute shooter. The V3X, so forgiving, so. Um, such an, an accurate bow, uh, holds a tune really well. Like, uh, you know, I took last year's bow all over the Western United States and out to Hawaii and flew out. And as I'm tuning this year's bow, I shot it through paper and the thing is still spot on. Like they hold a tune really well. Uh, they just make forgiving, good shooting bows. I've got so many compliments on how quiet my bow is this year. Uh, and that, that, that quiet bow really helps with animals jumping the string. And so I really try to quiet these things down. Uh, but just building a, a amazing bows, uh, so accurate. Uh, the, this year's V3X, uh, they have that the inline technology, like with the sight, goes right into the riser. And uh, so I'm finally going to get this piece and uh, have it in my riser, which helps with the weight, which then you can use less weight on the stabilizer. But this year's bow is an absolute shooter. I can't wait to see what I can do this season in the field with it. So if you're in the market for a new bow, uh, make sure you shoot one of these Matthews and um, see if you like it. But they're they're absolutely amazing. I couldn't be more impressed. So uh, thanks to Matthews for everything they do. I also want to thank Stone Glacier. Uh, so pumped to be start partnered with Stone Glacier. Uh, Stone Glacier just has a bunch of killers that work for them. Uh, so much respect for all those guys and what they do and so much respect for their gear. I feel like this is the perfect partnership because I feel like they really build minimalist gear that fits my style of hunting. And uh, so I've got their couple of their new bags. I got their new 15 degree that'll come with me nearly everywhere. Uh, just a great high performing sleeping bag, great insulation, insulation, great loft. And then um, this year I got their blanket as well that's um, good to 32 degrees. So it's an open-sided blanket, super lightweight. This will be my early season bag. I'll use this in August. I've already got a couple trips on it. And, um, yeah, perform flawlessly. Like it's going to be best when it's, you know, 40 degrees or above. So great for scouting trips, super lightweight. And then I'm also using their sleep system uh, or their tent system. So uh, I use their freestanding two-person tent. I use that with my daughter this year. Just a bomb-proof tent. This tent will survive anything. Uh, just a, a great tent to use uh, as it gets colder or as you need a really good shelter like in Alaska, something like that. I'll definitely take it the next time I go to New Zealand, hit bad weather in there. It's just going to be a bomb-proof tent. And then... Um, the one I'm going to use a bunch is their bivy tent. It's a modular system. It's called their Sky Air. And their Sky Air, you can zip up a, a, a mesh bottom with a floor in it so you can get away from the bugs. Uh, you can put a vestibule in it so you can store your gear out of the rain. 
It's just a minimalist bivy tent that comes in at a pound and a half, uh, takes a, a small spot to set up. It's going to be an amazing tent for a lot of my high country mule deer hunting, uh, a lot of my elk hunting with a bow. So I'm really pumped to use this thing. I've used it a handful of times this season already, and it's working flawlessly. So really impressed. If you guys are in the market for anything Stone Glacier does, make sure to go check them out. A bunch of absolute killers in there that are building next-level gear. Couldn't be more impressed with their products. So, um, All right. That's the sponsorship. Oh, uh, make sure to check us out at Eastman's. Our Mule Deer course did launch. We're continuing to add to it. It's got over 100 videos uh, it's a video course that'll take you over 10 hours to walk through. Uh, you can find it eastmans.com. Uh, so we're starting to launch that, continuing to add to it, and um, see if we can create a great mule deer course uh, that'll help guys out. So it's it's basically, you know, I did the layout for it, uh, all the videos for it. Dan Bacar's been working really hard on it, Guy Eastman as well. Uh, he did a piece on rifle hunting in there. So, um, yeah, it's a... Uh, a really good course that I'm really proud of that I think there's great information in there. It's uh, hunting mule deer A to Z, and it's just more information than I can cover in a podcast. Like, I'm sure all this information is throughout my podcast, but you'd have to listen. You know, there's 300 and some hours of podcasts you'd have to sort through to get that information. So uh, going to get Dan Bacar on for a muley podcast and um, – Uh, Yeah, make sure to check it out if you're interested. It's a great price point for all the information in there. And uh, like I say, we're going to continue to add to the course and add videos. I know I'm doing some narration for some of my stocks and and previous hunts, things of that nature. Uh, So couldn't be more excited for this thing to launch. It is out now. You can check it out at Eastman's.com. All right. Solo podcast, right? Um, (laughs) My therapy session. No, it's uh, uh, things have been going good. Um, you know, I'm a bit out of balance with all the work I took, and um, you know, the the work I took, it's uh, uh, it's 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 for a better purpose. You know, I'm building this house for me and my family, which is going good. I finally got the trusses set yesterday. I've been waiting to set some big stones and some beams, and then I was out on trusses. I had to travel down to uh, Salt Lake City and then had a wedding for my buddy. So last week, it couldn't squeeze it in, but I did get them set uh, yesterday, which was a great feeling. So, um, yeah, my house kind of takes a back burner to our other projects. I got so many um, uh, responsibilities and and, uh, to to keep getting things done on my other projects. So it's just, um, you know, my life is a bit out of balance with work right now, but it's all for a better purpose. Like I use this work and I really enjoy construction. I enjoy managing projects. Uh, enjoy working with the clients and creating something. I enjoy working hard. Uh, I've had a lot of fun working on my house. And I enjoy getting in this mindset, but I don't love it like I love bow hunting. And so, you know, I trade my skills that I built in this business to be able to fund uh, uh, more opportunities in the hunting world and hopefully more time. Like we only have so much time on planet Earth and it seems like a long time when it's day by day or week by week or month by month. But, um, you know, really life goes by pretty short and we got to try to enjoy it to the to the best of our abilities and I'm lucky that I have this passion in life that I love with every fiber of my being and that's you know this backcountry bow hunting uh also uh western fly fishing I love that and um you know it's a bit out of sorts but it's 
It's like nobody cares. It's like uh, uh, any problems you're having, you know, like I can vent to my wife or vent to my buddies, but, you know, nobody really cares for your problems. Nobody likes to hear you complain. And really, it's just about getting in the right headspace. Like life is composed of a bunch of things we don't want to do. We spend so much of our lives at work. Uh, you know, and even if it's not at work, you know, with, um, 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 you know, like I think of my grandpa that passed and doctor's appointments he didn't want to go to, or I think of, um, just the things in everyday life that you have to do that, you know, you're not always looking forward to, or, you know, the thing that we truly love bow hunting, how much time do we really spend doing it? You know, and, and, and I get a bunch of time and I've structured my life so that I get to enjoy my passion. And so, you know, I spend a hundred days of field, but even you take a hundred days out of uh, 365 and I'm dang near spending a quarter of my time doing what I really love to do. And that's a pretty good ratio in today's day and age. Uh, I think there's, you know, a lot of guys out there and me in my younger years that didn't even get that much time, maybe 10%, 5% of my time really spending what I like to do. But it is about it's about mindset. Like everything's about mindset. Backcountry hunting's about mindset. It's about, you know, making up your mind that you love it and want to be good at it and working hard towards your goals and putting in the daily effort to improve your skill sets to show up at these trailheads and be undeniable. And, um, you know, I have I have found um, balances. I continue to get work out. I continue to spend time with my family. And uh, it's just getting my mind right for this, this workload and stress load, really. I'm running um, more homes than I've ever ran. And I've, I've prepared myself for it. I've built up to it. And, um, you know, I've just taken a bit too much. And it's like when things get out of sort with my life, then I struggle with happiness. And so, you know, I've had some days where I've just got so many homes, so many issues and problems coming in that I'm almost overwhelmed at the end of the day. The good thing is, is I get to go to sleep. I get to reset my brain and wake up in the morning and try again. And really, I'm just trying to take as good a care of myself as I can. So, I'm trying to find balance in my life with my workouts, uh, doing my CrossFit workouts, doing my runs, making sure I'm still taking care of myself, uh, taking care of myself as far as diet, like taking in good nutrition. And in all these facets of my life, I can be a touch better at. And so I'm just trying to improve all these, whether it's working out, whether it's family life, work life, um, whether it's nutrition, uh, you know, uh, sleep. Uh, all these little things, just trying to take really good care of myself and keep in a good headspace. Like even though we all have to work and do things we don't want to do, uh, nobody can control our mind and we can either get upset, overwhelmed, and you know, I'll find myself like on a tough day. You know, I've had a couple tough days where, you know, I've had problems and, you know, I had to go insulate for a client and go put a bunch of insulation in and I just had a a, a bad mood. I was just in this bad headspace where everything walking around was making me upset. I'd hit a board on the top of a door and all of a sudden I'm, I'm yelling cuss words down in the, in the basement. And, uh, I, I'm just not in a good mental space at times. And so like, I need to remember nobody controls, uh, my mind. Nobody controls the mood I'm in, uh, the, the happiness I feel. Nobody controls that but me. And so, it's just wrapping my head around it and uh, also like getting some time out. Like I've had so much fun, you know, scouting for this moose hunt, scouting for elk hunts, just spending time in nature. It, it, it reminds me, you know, what I really enjoy about it. It's like taking in the moment and, and, and being present in that moment. Like um, 
you know, I can sit and worry about everything that's going to go wrong tomorrow or everything that went wrong yesterday and how I should have handled things better. And I think it's good to do self-assessment, but I don't think it's good to to sit and think about uh, some mistake and, and, and dwell over it. Like, you know, you come up with a solution of what you're going to do, the right move to do, and you move forward. And, you know, I've, I've got so many projects, I've made some mistakes as well that I'm not proud of or you know, communication. Like I've got a, a a client that's been really good to me that, you know, I, I haven't got his stuff done. I've been so busy jumping around. And so, you know, I've got to call him and say, Hey, apologize. I haven't been over there. Here's my plan to get you finished up. Just, um, uh, taking the bull by the horns and just trying to do the absolute best job I can do, trying not to complain, trying to keep in a good mindset. And this mindset, it's going to be what carries me through, uh, during season and during these tough hunts, uh, it's going to be the thing that, that carries me through and makes sure that I'm there with my family. And, you know, really, you know, I see this being this busy, taking on this much work, this much responsibility. Like, this is an opportunity. It is a great opportunity. Like, I'm fortunate to be able to build a, a new house for my family, to be able to sell my house, to be able to put myself in a better financial position, uh, just to be able to fund all this. Like, uh, I have this great opportunity in front of me, and, and the opportunity to, to own Barney Construction and to build this from the ground up for 20 years to get these good projects. This is an awesome opportunity, you know, to put some some money away and, and um, you know, start to slow down a bit in the construction field. And whether that's leave it entirely or whether that's um, uh, a slow down to where I'm only doing a project or two at a time, I'm not chasing a buck. This is going to afford me the opportunity to do this. And so, you know, I have to sacrifice in the short term to be able to gain in the long term and build a better life for myself and better life for myself. And that's the whole reason that, you know, I've been able to go on all these ventures is I I've structured my life for bow hunting, you know, that's my family and my wife. I have these deep in-depth conversations with her telling her, you know, that I how much I love it and how much I love, you know, the challenge of it being immersed in nature and, and really I love being in the present moment and hunting requires you to be in the present moment. So, you know, I challenge you guys this season as you're on these hunts to not be in your phone, to not be looking at social media, to not be looking, uh, you know, your emails. And, and sometimes it's necessary. I need to go through my emails and send those. I need to go through my texts and send those, but really be in the present moment. And this is what's helped me is, is to be in the present moment. I, sometimes I feel like I'm stuck in all this stress, all these problems, all these issues. But if I just stop and just be present and look around at, you know, where I live and the mountains and look at the grass and think, you know, this year I'm I'm going to be hunting. I'm going to be on some big adventures and just being in this present moment where I'm not worried about the future, not worrying about the past. That's really helped me. And I, I challenge you on these hunts to make sure that you're in that present moment. And I think it's one of the things that all of us love uh, about backcountry bow hunting is you do. It forces you to be present. Uh, to stalk these animals, to be able to put in a shot. But there is like a lot of downtime where you can fall out of this. And so I'm going to really try hard to be in the present moment on these hunts and really soak them in and enjoy them. But it just reminds me of how much I love being out in nature and covering miles and done some awesome scouting trips. I was in just this um, 
awesome place in this range where I'd never been last weekend and got into a bunch of elk in there and there was a big herd and they were cow calling and bugling yes bugling already in July which was crazy and uh, you know no big bulls in the group because it is summertime routine right now where the cows are in a spot and the bulls are in a different spot eventually once they start to rut they're going to join up so there was some cows and gosh there had to be over 100 head maybe even 150 200 even as they kept moving through the trees and things and so I kept covering country and got out on these gnarly rocky ridge lines at 10,000 feet. And uh, pretty soon I saw two bulls down in just this little pocket meadow off this saddle living in this extreme terrain. And they were two just hammers. Like one was a six point, one was a five by six, but he was one of those giant five by six that I that I'd kill every single season. And um, just really fun to to be out there and immersed in that. And even though I've got so many things to get done and so much responsibility, I focus hard to be in the present moment and just enjoy those mountains. So um, there is stress in all our lives, and we do have to work. And you know, um, you know, it's it's not fun all the time. But nobody controls our headspace, and nobody controls my headspace after work in the evenings with my family like I can either bring these problems home with me and be upset and I you know not that I'm a jerk to my family but I just end up being quiet and I end up not engaging with my family it's not the right way to be uh, I want to engage with my family and laugh with my family and so I have to leave work at work and um, I have to de-stress before I come home and nobody controls my mind nobody controls my mindset in the evenings or in the weekends and been working weekends, but making sure that I'm taking one day off. And uh, I had quite a few weekends that I worked in 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 a row. And you know, then I'm starting to face burnout. And so, you know, it's important for me to take a day or two. Or like what I've been doing is I'll go scout in the morning and get to the mountains and and you know wake up early and and be in there, grab some vantage points and look around whether that's deer, elk, moose, and then get back and get some work done and seems to work pretty good for me. I seem to, to find my center there. So just trying to manage everything I have coming in, but being out of balance does, does, um, remind me that I need to change that I get one chance at this life and, um, time goes by so quick and I want to spend more time enjoying what I love to do. And so that means, um, slowing down, taking a little less work, making a little less money. So be it. Uh, but I'm going to, uh, finish my responsibilities here. It's going to be a busy hunting season, but I'm going to take time to do what I love to do. I'm going to go hunt. I've got good guys that can cover for me. And so, um, you know, I'm going to go have some adventures and have these these wild encounters out in nature. So it's all going to work out. And I just have to remember that and um, uh, be as good as I can be. And this is an opportunity for me to grow. Uh, it's the most work that I've ever had, the busiest I've ever been. And then, you know, I'm trying not to let, you know, my stuff in the outdoor industry uh, slip as well. Like this podcast, trying to record really good podcasts, going to do these solos. Uh, you know, this is like, this has been amazing to be able to create this and run this podcast for seven years and have you guys listen in and be interested in what's going on in my life or what's going on in my hunting or to pick up tidbits that you can apply to your own hunting to help in your success is amazing. So, you know, I can't let this slip. So I've got to continue to make time for it. And, uh, you know, like 
this morning. It's super early before work. The sun isn't up yet. I'm going to record a podcast and get it out to you guys. Um, but just making sure that, that the outdoor industry, like I've always wanted to speak and I've been working on my speaking. So I've done three of the Western summits and then two gigs here for Eastman's one at Fieldcraft survival that I did. And then one at black rifle coffee company. This is a passion of mine and something I want to continue to work on to be the best public speaker I can be to deliver good information. Um, you know, so hopefully I can do more of it or I can work more in the outdoor industry and do, um, uh, less of the construction or at least uh, leave the construction to my partner or you know what I haven't figured out all the details yet I'm just working through it as I'm talking to you guys on the podcast but when I am out of balance it does remind me that um, you know that that life isn't all about making money or zeros in a bank account and you know even me making money like right now I'm spending so much doing my house and you know all of it's going towards that uh, but you know really, you know, for me to make more money doesn't change my life at this point. Like I'm comfortable and not that I'm rich, but you know, I'm comfortable where I can pay my bills and I know I have my bills paid for the foreseeable future. I know that I can pay for anything that my family needs. I know that I can take them on vacations. I know that I can go, uh, and go on these wild adventures. And, you know, I had to turn down, you know, this dream fishing trip to the Amazon for Dorado this year. It was just a bit out of my price range. Um, could I have done it? Yeah. Um, but it, it, uh, I like doing these adventures for a thousand bucks or a couple thousand bucks. And there's so many great ones out there and, uh, I had to put it off. Hopefully I can be able to go next year if I still have the invite. Um, but my point is, is that, you know, I don't need to go on these big sheep hunts to, to be fulfilled. Like, sure. I'd love to draw a sheep hunt, but I can't, spend $20,000 to go on a hunt. I'm just, you know, it's out of my realm. It's out of my tax bracket. For me, I need to go on these smaller adventures and really I can do 10 mule deer hunts for the price of one sheep hunt or maybe more. And, um, so, you know, I found my adventures that I like to go on and I, um, I don't need to make a ton of money. I don't need to chase the buck. Time is our most precious commodity, and uh, I need to have more time. So uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to you know, get through this hunting season, get through my projects, get through my personal house. It's a good move for me, and then um, I'm going to create more time, uh, plain and simple. Um, so I know where I need to get, I know what I need to do, and uh, I know the mindset moving forward. So this podcast is not all about work, you guys. God dang it. Uh, I should have started with something a little bit more engaging and exciting, but just letting you know like where where I'm at, struggles that I've been dealing with, and then um, trying to make it through. But but right now, you know, even with being so busy, I'm finding good balance. And, and like you say, nobody wants to listen to you complain about how busy you are. Nobody wants to listen to you complain about problems. Um, you know, we all have issues and it could be a lot worse. Like I was just, I hired, I've got these two young kids that are working for me that are just great. I met Tristan at the Western hunting summit. Uh, he's just turning into a great carpenter. He's like 21, 22 and, uh, asked for a job for his cousin that his cousin moved up with him. He was welding. And so hired his cousin, Caleb and Caleb's doing great. And just chatting with him yesterday, you know, uh, he was on the phone at lunch and, uh, and talking to him at the end of the day, just asking him how things are going. And, and, uh, and, uh, cause she told me he's having like 
cardiac problems, like problems with his heart. He's wearing a heart monitor, and uh, he's having these spells where his heart gets uh, heart rate gets up to 180 beats a minute just sitting on the couch, and so trying to work through these doctors. But I remember that, that my problems are small in the scale of things. You know, here here's this young kid that's dealing with health issues. He's young. He's fit. He's moved to Montana. He's got a good job. He's a great kid, and. Um, so I tried to just chat with them and give them support and just let them know, you know, anything I can do to help. But, you know, those are real issues is like health problems with, you know, family or friends or personal health problems. And, you know, the truth is, is we're all going to have to deal with it at some point. Like uh, age is undefeated unless they they come up with a magic pill that reverses aging. Like we're all going to have to deal with it at times. And uh, sure, I've had to deal with injuries and and uh, had to deal with health stuff, you know, with my close family and things. And um, really, being stronger mentally and having a good mindset and being able to handle everything that I'm handling, it prepares me for these tough times to be a rock for my family and to have this this mental strength to be able to advise them when we do come across tough times. But you know, those are real problems. Problems I got, you know, somebody's house or they have to move in two weeks later, like. You know, I've seen big problems and that's not it, you know, and so I have to also uh, don't dedicate, don't don't let it get me in a negative headspace, just handle things as they come, handle stress as they come. This is an awesome opportunity for me and and uh, move on and be better from it. But um, so hunting, uh, man, I, I took this amazing trip to Hawaii and I haven't even told you guys about it or talked about it. Uh, I just have this amazing group of friends and um uh, the, these, um, three buddies that I've met in Hawaii have become such good friends of mine, Janus, Sean, Robin, just such good guys, salt of the earth that would do anything for me and vice versa. And, uh, so they invited me along on this trip and we actually had quite a few in our party. Uh, um, uh, David Wise ended up coming. He's been on the podcast, the Olympic gold medalist, uh, Remy Warren came, which I really like that guy. Remy Warren, a salt of the earth, good human being and a great hunter. His instincts in hunting are amazing. He ended up arrowing a, a, a ram uh, with a mouth tab. He hurt his wrist, had to have surgery on it. He actually had to go have a second surgery and so taught himself to shoot with a mouth tab, had to get a little bit closer. You know, he says his anchor point is um, really loose in there, but he taught himself how to hunt, make a, made a perfect shot on a ram, which is just amazing with a mouth tab. And those rams... Uh, they're mouflon sheep that came from Corsica that were released in Hawaii years ago, and they've adapted and evolved to this habitat perfectly. So they get in the gnarliest lava rock canyons, and and um, and, and it's uh, hot and humid there. Uh, so, you know, I did a bunch of heat training before I left, but just amazing friends that invited me on this adventure, and um, I, I just couldn't be more happy not only to go do the hunt, but to go spend spot quality time with these guys to laugh to joke around it's just amazing it was exactly what i needed uh, it was a great release so i went out there for a week had a uh, hunted mouflon sheep hunted axis deer and so um got on axis deer right away like those guys had been hunting for a few days i did my daughter's graduation so i showed up in about the middle of the hunt but um got started right away took my planes took my flights uh, got all the way out there. Those guys were in the field, and so they left me a uh, car. It was uh, Ryan's car. Ryan's a, a buddy from Hawaii that I just met, so he left me his car there. Uh, it was like a little RAV4, so I couldn't make it down all the gnarly roads, so I had to hunt kind of close to the highways, and so I uh, dipped into the brush immediately. It started hunting, and that evening, 
is a good access spot. And um, as I started hunting, I uh, just dove off this, you know, just dove in towards the ocean, losing a bunch of elevation. I think I lost, you know, over a thousand or fifteen hundred feet, maybe even a couple thousand that night diving down there. I just dove down and got into some of this country that nobody really hunts down in these coolies and canyons and just started still hunting my way through. So in Hawaii, you know, you can get master vantage points, but a lot of this is going to be like a mobile vantage point. So you're just hunting through and you have to see the deer, the sheep before they see you and they have amazing eyesight. Axis are so switched on. One of the tougher species that I've hunted and mouflon, even tougher yet, their eyesight is incredible, super switched on, like hunting a coos deer with my bow is what they remind me of. Uh, just so switched on, so cagey and so uh, just started hunting and walking around with my bow in, in this Hawaiian environment, which is incredible. And some, the Hawaiian environment can really change. So there can be a dry side of the island, a wet side of the island. So you can be hunting the thick trees and like uh, in the canopy and, and down in this thick timber and really still hunting your way through, hunting it uh, 50 to 100 yards at a time. Or it can be open terrain where they really seek out the shelter of shade and the she's in the trees. And uh, so there are these uh, uh, keave, keave trees. Um, I hope I, I hope I get all my. I love learning like all these different uh, uh, plants every place I go. And then um, so that's I'm trying. I'm hoping I'm rem- remembering it right. I'm sure one of my Hawaiian buddies is going to listen to this podcast and go, "Dude, you're such an idiot." You know, keave is this or you know whatever. Uh, but uh, keave trees are are these uh, 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 leaf trees that create shade for these uh, deer and these sheep. And so I'm hunting the open side of the island, which I really like. The more open the terrain, the better I do. But they really seek out the thick cover in this open terrain. And so the thick cover is going to be down in the draws and these keave trees where they can find the shade and bed down and get out of the sun a bit. And so I'm just still hunting my way through. You have to see them before they see you. Uh, actually, I had a pretty good buck down below me that I made a move down, got into bow range, and um, I just had one buck tag for this hunt. And so, you know, I kind of hemmed and hawed and thought, ah, he's not quite there. And he was right on the edge of being a shooter, uh, but he was right in front of me, 35, 40 yards, walk broadside. Kind of, I hemmed and hawed and didn't shoot him. Uh, had ranges on him and was close, and then he kind of got uh, around to me and got to my bad wind side, winded me, and it blew up, and no big deal. It's the beginning of the hunt, and um, I could have killed that buck at 35, 40 yards and chose not to. So kept hunting, and um, just exciting to be in this different environment, this different habitat. It's just worlds different from Hawaii, or uh, from Montana, excuse me. Uh, it's just worlds different. Uh, the, the plants are different. The, the habitat's different. It's hot. It's humid. Uh, it's just like this amazing opportunity to go travel this, this different landscape or different habitat. And, you know, a hundred years ago, it wouldn't be possible. But, uh, in today's day and age, I can jump on a couple flights and, uh, spend a little bit of money. And those guys lined up the logistics, which are really tough out there with a house and rigs and, uh, pretty soon, I'm I'm hunting axis deer that that are native to India and a uh, have evolved from avoiding Bengal tigers. You know, they're just this amazing species that are in in their rut. Um, when I was over there, it was in June, and um, so it's just a it's just a wild life I get to live. You know, to be able to go to these these places and hunt. So so I'm hunting. 
I'm hunting, um, covering these canyons and coolies working down by the ocean and just glassing really good and getting, you know, it's like using this skill set that I've built over the years to be able to still hunt through these places and not get picked off. Like it's all about keeping the element of surprise. And I'm going to get into some stalking techniques here towards the end of the podcast. In fact, I've got to save some time for it. But the, the biggest key to stalking is keeping the element of surprise, seeing those animals before they see you. And especially on axis or sheep, once they see you, the gig's up. Same thing for mule deer and elk. Once they see you, the gig's up. So I'm really good at keeping the element of surprise. As I come over ridgelines, I'm careful not to expose myself too quick. I'm careful to uh, pick apart the the grasses to pick apart these kiave trees to pick apart everything in front of me make sure there's not a deer or sheep in front of me that i'm gonna spook before i get an opportunity and so i'm just kind of still hunting my way through this open terrain and um i get down there and kind of run into a, a road down there that i didn't realize dropped off and i couldn't have taken it in my little car but um but I cross this road and then cross another couple canyons that I know guys aren't willing to do or most guys aren't willing to do because you got a bunch lose a bunch of elevation, gain a bunch of elevation, and so finally getting this remote stretch and um, seeing some sheep, seeing some ewes and things, and then um, also seeing quite a few axis deer. And I get in this one draw, and it looks so good with the Kiave trees. And so I just kind of keep working my way around and glassing into the shadows, and I pick out – a group of bucks in there and there's a, a bunch of bucks in there and they're kind of bedded in the caves and um and and I see a couple in there that are that are shooters the one biggest one I can't get a good look at his horns they're all kind of covered up by branches but um I've got good topography I've got a great wind in my face I've got everything in my favor and um so I slip in on them keep low, keep out of sight, uh, get in close and, you know, don't stalk to failure. Like I'm not going to stalk and blow them up out of there. I get inside and like in between 40 and 45 yards, this, this bedded buck. And there's two nice ones in there, a bunch of other smaller ones, bunch of mediums. And so, uh, I kind of pick out the biggest one and I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to shoot this buck. And so, just waiting. I want to get a better look at him and I can almost shoot him in his bed right there, but I can't see his entire rack. And so I crawl into this 40 yards and I just wait and, uh, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, I'm waiting for this buck and all the other bucks are standing up and feeding around. And this buck just continues to bed right there. And, um, you know, the wind's kind of blowing, so it's windy. I'm inside my bow range. I'm knelt down. I'm really camoed in. Nothing's going to see me in there, and I'm just waiting for my opportunity for this buck to stand. And after 30, 40 minutes, I start hearing, like, I I heard some voices. Now, I'm not sure if I actually heard voices of, of hunters on the ridge. I kind of think I'd you know, sometimes you, uh, make yourself hear things like a bugle, like, and you're not sure if you heard it or not. That's kind of the case is I heard the wind blowing and I don't know if I got nervous. There's a couple hunters above me on the ridge up there. And I thought I could hear a whisper, hear him talking. And I'm like, Oh no, these bucks are going to blow out of here. My opportunity is going to blow up. And here I am in bow range. I've been waiting 30, 40 minutes. I've got a pretty good idea. This is a good shooter buck. And so I decide I'm going to shoot him right in his bed. And, um, draw back, X, uh, anchor, uh, put the pin where it needs to be and just execute pull, 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 shot breaks and just put a perfect arrow into this buck. Uh, exactly where I wanted to put it. Great execution. He runs over, falls over. The other bucks actually hang out and, um, 
just this great buck. It's my first night in Hawaii. I didn't want it to get over with that quick, but the good thing is, is it's going to allow me to, to hunt sheep and I'm limited on days. Like I say, I was over there for a week, but you got so much travel, a couple days of travel to get there because then traveling to a different island, got to fly in, grab a hotel, grab another flight uh, the next day. And so, you know, it's a couple days of travel there, a couple days of travel back. I've got to make sure I've got time to, to freeze my meat, to butcher my meat and freeze it. And so, you know, I'm limited on time. And so uh, it's a good thing. I get to go cruising into camp with the boys. Just got in there that day and, and killed this um, great axis buck. And it's one of my better bucks. Uh, so really pumped to shoot him. He's nice, heavy horns. He's a tall one, not a wide one. But just stoked. Got to have this experience, you know, my first night there, just right off the plane uh, in there. There is no 24 hours wait to hunt. It's pretty much hunt right away. So um, just enjoyed it. Got him to the shade and butchered him up. Axis meat is so good. We've been enjoying it here at the house. So brought it home for the family. Bring it home in soft side coolers and things. And so um, just like that, I have an Axis buck down. And oh, what a pack out that night. Oh, my gosh. So um, I got to get back up to my rig. And uh, I've, I've probably gone... I'm on the verge of going too far. Man, I hunt that place hard. I just dive in and just try to get where no other hunters are getting and go find my own experiences. So I'd walk dang near down to the ocean from the top. And uh, so I had to load this buck up, uh, boned out, uh, butchered up, and then make this grueling hike up in the heat. And um, yeah, it's pretty gnarly, which is good for my first night there. It's just all these miles back up to the rig with this buck. And uh, like I say, you know, I said originally 1,000 feet or 1,500, maybe 2,000. It had to be all of 1,500 or 2,000 vertical feet to get back to the rig and multiple miles. But I get back in the dark, get back to camp, and share some laughs with the boys we ate so good there um and uh, bring home an axis buck my first night and then um so now I get to really focus on sheep and killing a ram and these rams are tough like one of my buddies has been hunting these for 10 years with his bow and arrow and just harvested his first ram this year which so pumped for that guy um he's such a great hunter his sheep has just been his nemesis they're they're small they're like 75 pounds uh they've got the these awesome um um they're not racks or antlers, but uh, awesome horns uh, on them that, that can figure in. There's, um, you know, three-quarter curls and full curls and some great rams out there. And, um, you know, it's it's like this rare opportunity. Like, I don't get to hunt sheep. I, I put in all over the country for big horns, for deserts, for California big horns. Uh, trying to draw a tag, just trying to be able to hunt sheep in this wild, remote country that they live in. And uh, I haven't drawn a tag yet at 42 years old, but I've been able to go out to Hawaii and invited on this hunt to be able to hunt these mouflon sheep. So it's really like my introduction into sheep. And I harvested one like two or three years ago uh, on one of these hunts. It was just amazing. Um, so here I've got this opportunity to hunt sheep again and there it's, it's a real, there's a lot of big rams around this year. And so really holding out for a good ram and, and hunting. And so, you know, pass some stocks on some three quarter curls and things, but just hunting the, the gnarliest, uh, lava rock canyons that are really steep and actually really dangerous in and through there. Uh, but I love bow hunting these extreme environments. Like I love hunting high country muleys because of the extreme environment that they live in. And so hunting these mouflon sheep is an absolute treat to me and at 75 pounds they are so switched on and their eyesight is so sharp like just picture uh, the eyes of an antelope but with more topography so if you make one mistake or expose yourself you're totally busted 
And um, so, uh, anyways, have this opportunity to hunt sheep and get in some amazing hunts with buddies as we're splitting off, going different directions, uh, pass some stocks on some good rams. And um, finally, I find myself this evening, and I'm in this gnarly canyon. There's actually two canyons that then converge into one canyon. It's super gnarly and rocky. And so I head over into this canyon, and I cross the first canyon. And uh, it's not too sketch in this first canyon because I'm up high in it. And then I get on the center ridge that's in between the two canyons and kind of walk down and grab some vantage points and things. And so I sit down. Uh, like I say, I passed a a good a good ram, not a great ram that's up above in a pretty good spot, but I just knew I'd get another opportunity. As I sit there and it starts getting later, I get to my last hour of light, I look down and I spot three rams and one is just an absolute giant, just this huge curl and then comes way back up, uh, a giant full curl ram. And he's with two other rams that are studs as well, like just three of these stud rams. One's uh, super heavy like one of the heaviest ones I've seen, like such big bases, comes around. He's like a, a five-eighths or three-quarter curl, uh, probably three-quarter, but really, really heavy, and then another good three-quarter with a big curl on him. And so I see these three rams, and so um, they're across the second canyon, and the second canyon, it's all lava rock on the far side. It's like all cliffs and lava rock. It's gnarly. Um, but I kind of glass over there and I see some grass that connects to another little, uh, piece of grass to a cliff that I think I can climb up that cliff and get to that little open pitch. I think I can make it. And so I kind of pick my way over, but I know that I've got to come back across this thing at night. Right. And, um, so it's like, I see these three Rams. It'd be easy not to go for them. There's not much light, but it's, um, you know, this is a great opportunity, great chance for me. And I've got to try to go kill that giant. Like I've got to try to give myself a chance. This is what I'm looking for. And, um, so I find my way across that canyon. It's gnarly, but I'm thinking at night, oh my gosh, is this going to get sketchy? This is sketchy enough climbing up in the daylight and being able to pick my route. And I'm up higher in the canyon, so I kind of glass down lower. It looks really cliffy, uh, but I think there's like a better spot to cross down there. And I'm like, well, you know, if I don't kill this ram, I'll be coming back across in the daylight. I'll be able to pick my way across. If it's in night, well, I'll kill a ram. I'll uh, Maybe I'll walk back up to this spot or I'll look for another spot to cross. So there's a bit of nervousness on going on this stock because I know I'm putting myself in a bit of a dangerous situation to go for a stock on this ram. But I get down there and uh, start closing into where these three rams are, and there's just sheep everywhere. And um, I'm trying to stay low, but these ewes kind of down below me and close kind of pick me off or pick up some movement. And I try to get low and just stay still and not let anything happen. And um, they kind of spook off, and they also spook those three rams. Uh, the rams didn't know I was there. They spooked from the ewes, and so they just go over you know, half a mile into the next canyon over and they just get back to being sheep. And so it's like, well, now at least there's no use around. Maybe I can make a play and make something happen. And so it's this last light play that I'm trying to get over to these rams and make a play on these three rams. And I I get over there. Um, uh, the big ram disappears over the top. Uh, but there's still uh, those couple rams that I'd seen that were just great rams now. Should I have held out for that giant? You know, maybe hunted them the next day. I think I had a couple days left to hunt, two days left to hunt, um, something like that. Uh, but I've got this great heavy ram that would be my best ram, and he's he's there, and I slip into bow range, and I think, yeah, this thing's going to catch an arrow. 
So uh, get this great shot on that on this ram. Uh, he's he's a it's a bit of a longer shot, especially for such a small animal. But it's pretty calm, and it's um, seventy some yards or somewhere right in there. So it's a uh, definitely a poke. But I sit on my shot. I execute correctly. This Matthews V3X is shooting so good for me. Execute, put a perfect arrow in that ram, and he runs over the hill and disappears. And um, so I, I go take up the blood before it gets dark. I knew I had a good arrow in him and um, find him find him dead over there. Um, actually, uh, <laughs> so I actually uh, uh, I found him over there, right? And I come over the hill and he's laying with his head on the ground and he's still alive or at least he looks still alive. And so I, I'm pretty close. I'm like 30 yards or whatever. And so um, I put another arrow in him right there, and he was stone cold dead. <laughs> I, I, such an idiot. I'd never done that before. But he just, the way he was laying and with his head right there and his eyes open, he just looked like he was alive right there. Uh, and uh, so I, I put a second arrow in him unnecessarily. And, um, uh, so it was a bit of an idiot move for me. Like I've never done that before. Most of the time you walk up, poke them with an arrow, they're dead. Um, uh, and, you know, I have come across animals that are hurt really bad that do need a second arrow, but that was not the case on this sheep. So I, I don't know. It's a, uh, a bit of a strange moment, but no big deal. I didn't ruin any meat or anything like that. I just, um, I, I put an extra arrow in him uh, that he didn't need. But uh, yeah, he's a, just a great ram. I ended up killing that heavy one just giant bases on them. But now, you know, I'm nervous. You know, I, I take a few pictures as the sun's setting and I start butchering this thing. And I also have to cape it for one of the guys back at camp that lost his cape on a sheep and wanted to get it mounted. So I wanted to bring him back the cape. And so, you know, I kind of just relax and enjoy the moment and go, well, I know I'm in for it crossing that canyon, but, you know, I killed a ram. Like, what a great adventure. Uh, so I butcher that sheep up, get all the meat in my pack and the cape and the horns and things. And um, it's really wild how heavy the horns are. And so now I've got to come back across that canyon in the dark. And I didn't want to tell my buddy Sean that I had killed a ram or where I was at because I didn't want him to come looking for me or come over to help because he surely would have came over to help. And it was super dangerous in that canyon. Uh, so I just kind of texted him, hey, I'm going to be a little late, but um, I'm headed there. I'll meet you at the spot. And um, so I load up everything and I come over and get to the edge of that canyon. And now I'm I'm way lower. I'm a mile lower than where I crossed before. In fact, you know, I can't I can't go back up to the spot I crossed before because the way we did this hunt is he dropped me off at the top and I hunted all the way down and then I'm coming down to our meeting spot. So, I mean, I could have walked up to that spot, but I would have had to gain so much elevation with that sheep in my pack cross the canyon, then come all the way back down to where I'm at. I mean, I say a mile, I'm probably a couple miles down from that crossing spot. And so I want to find another spot to cross. And I come to the edge and I look over the edge and I can't see the bottom. It's so steep that it starts to disappear from me out of sight. And, um, so, uh, I, I pick my way down and I'm able to make my way down that side of the canyon. It wasn't that bad. Now I got to make my way up the other side. Well, up the other side like coming across the canyon this side wasn't bad at all so you know I didn't I didn't think it'd be bad and I got up there and man I ran into sheer cliffs trying to get into that side and look up to a 30-foot cliff I can't even free climb up because it it dang near leans out over top me um so I end up walking the edge of the cliff trying to find a way or a chute that I can get up 
and I can't find one. I've got to walk all the way back down to the bottom of the canyon and walk down a little further, another half a mile, and then go up again. And I ran into another vertical cliff on that one, but I'm able to pick my way through this chute and then get a get over to um, meet my buddy. This hike through the through the dark or through night with this ram on my back in Hawaii. I've been hunting for a few days, so it's just amazing. And then I spent my last couple days. Uh, I can hunt a non-typical sheep too, which is a bad genetic sheep. They call them a moo-moo, and so uh, able to to arrow one of those. Oh, and when I arrowed this one, it was on my last night there. I just kept hunting and kept hunting, and then I I, I helped buddies too. I helped. Uh, I found my buddy uh, Janus's sheep that he had shot. That kind of disappeared from him. I was able to find help him find that thing um, with a bunch of buddies and celebrate with him. And then um, also able to hunt with David Wise a bit and get him uh, quite a few stocks on animals and close calls. And he finally ended up killing a ram uh, like the last night there, one of the last days there, which was pretty cool. But um, yeah, I was hunting for non-typical sheep and I... Uh, use this this lull in this canyon. I use the evening thermals coming down, and I'm able to work up out of sight into range of these non-typical rams, and then uh, executed a great shot on one of these rams. I believe he was at 45 or 50, something like that. I think 45. But I shot this ram, and I'm kind of hot hid behind this this red dirt berm, and uh, put a perfect arrow into him. And um, this thing takes off at 100 miles an hour, and he turns, and he comes down by me. And as he's coming down by me, I mean, this thing's running 30, 35 miles an hour. He's got the arrow hanging out the far side by the fletching, so the broadhead's hanging out. And this thing's running as fast as it can run, and it's running right at me. And I'm not sure if I have to go left or if I have to go right. And so I kind of wave my arms at him so this thing will see me. As it's running at me full speed, and when I wave my arms, I mean, the thing had to be 15 yards away from me, and he jukes left, and so I start to go right, and then he then goes right, and then I have to dive left and get out of the way. I mean, this thing passed by me at a couple of yards, if that, ran by me a million miles an hour, so got a little exciting. I don't know how many people have been charged by a ram before with an arrow sticking out of him, but it did get pretty exciting, but the the ram didn't make it far and died and able to get some good meat off that and uh, uh so just this amazing trip with buddies um boy able to put it in uh butcher it up freeze it put it in soft side coolers bring it home and we've been eating on this meat ever since so just this amazing trip which i'm so fortunate to be able to go have these experiences like on hawaii and such good friends and good buddies i just can't thank them enough and uh, just want to help them in their journey you know here to the states whether that's mule deer or elk we've got a mule deer hunt plan this year uh so pump for that and uh, my other buddy also has an elk hunt that he's looking forward to um, in this location that we've hunted together. So, um, it's pretty cool stuff, but, um, you know, this life experience, you know, I love hunting solo, but I love hunting with buddies and I love having these, these, these close guys that I call friends, you know, that, that I would do anything for. And I just want to continue to, um, you know, as I think about life, uh, like you have to to love yourself and be happy first, but then you can en- enrich all these people's lives around you. And I can enrich my family's lives, my daughter's lives. Um, I can add to their lives and make it better. I can sacrifice and and do more so they live a better life. And and same thing with my buddies. It's like any time I have a chance to step up and do something for my friends, I want to do it. I want to enrich their lives, make it better. I want to be a good friend. And um, these guys are just um, some of the best 
friends I have and, you know, along with a couple other my buddies, Dylan and, and um, Dan, a couple guys that I do a bunch of stuff with that I hung out with last weekend at Dan's wedding and just had so many great laughs, throwing horseshoes and um, it, was, it was just a blast. I had my family there with me and um, just had an absolute riot. But I just want to enrich these people's lives that I care about around me. And that goes for my family, my dad, my sister. It goes for my immediate family, of course, my daughters and my wife. And it's um, like like that's that's the human experience. It's really what life's all about. And uh, I love to go on these bow hunting adventures. And it's just amazing. These guys invited me along and I can't tell them how much I appreciate and how much I appreciate their friendships and uh, would just do absolutely anything for these guys. And I know it goes both ways. And that's why they had me on this hunt. So uh, amazing to have good friends and be able to go experience an adventure like that. So uh, spot and stalking. Um, Man, uh, stalking is such an art. Uh, I love stalking these animals. It's it, it's the biggest payoff. It's the the price to admission for me. Like I'll spend a couple thousand dollars. I'll drive halfway across the country. I'll take ten days off work. But what I really want is a chance to go make a stalk, to go make a play, to go match wits with these animals with my bow and arrow in my hand. And and you have to make a hundred right decisions to make it come together. And these these decisions they're honed through your experiences and they're honed through your hunting instincts. And you build these hunting instincts. The longer you do it, you can also cut the learning curve by like learning from this podcast. There's so much information out there that, you know, your drive time or your downtime doesn't have to be spent listening to a five minute song after five minute song. You can tune into these podcasts and see what other good hunters are doing and then implement uh, this hunting skill into your own hunting and where you can apply it and to build your own hunting skill set. So through the years of stalking, I've, I've built a pretty good hunting skill set of what I can get away with and what I can't. So the first thing is to decide whether or not I am going to stalk once I find an animal. And um, really, I'm trying to weigh my options and get a high percentage play. If it's early season muleys, I love stalking them in their second bed as I know they're not going to move. Uh, I can sneak on that location. I can really take my time and make this methodical calculated stalk. And so that's what I try for. And I love stalking animals in their beds um, but you know like with elk they always bed in thick timber where I can't tell exactly where the bull beds and exactly where the cows bed and so it turns into a low percentage or if I like hunt high country muleys in Montana there's more timber and more cover and these bucks tend to disappear deeper into the shadows and so I can't get an exact bed and so therefore I have to adapt my my tactics and a lot of times what I'm going to do then is I'm going to uh, try to predict where they're going to come out in the evening where they're going to feed and I'm either going to set up on that spot or I'm going to set up in striking distance to that spot and try to stalk them in the evening. But my favorite is a bedding position. Uh, and a lot of these early season mule deer, I can get in their second bed and I can sneak on that location. And so a lot of times that's what I'm shooting for. Uh, as it gets into the later season and into the rut, um, these mule deer are tougher to bed down. They don't stay in their beds very long. They're constantly moving. And so uh, then what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to stalk in and get myself close and I'm going to adapt to the situation I'm given the same way I hunt elk. Elk are always moving. And, uh, uh, and so what I end up doing is seeing these elk, seeing a bull I want to kill and, and I go over and I've got to go get into them. So I've got to get close and then I've got to rely upon my skill set to pick them up before they see me. So you always have to relocate these animals once you get over there. And so I'm still going to get the wind right. 
I'm still going to move over. I'm still going to use the topography. I'm going to do everything I do when I'm stalking high country muleys in their bed, uh, but I'm going to get over there. I'm going to relocate them, and then I'm going to adapt to the situation. They've probably moved since I've uh, taken this time to get over to their location, so they're in a different area than when uh, I started hunting them, and so now they're in a different spot. Now, how can I use the ungulation? How can I use the wind? How can I keep the element of surprise? I, I talked about this in the beginning of the podcast. The most important part of stalking these animals is keeping the element of surprise, not letting them know that you're hunting them, and so this is constantly what I'm trying to do when I'm stalking is stay out of sight. And and a lot of times when you're stalking, you have to have like this next level patience. And, and the more I hunt, the more patience I develop on these stalks. I just don't want to give myself away. So uh, sometimes animals will catch your movement or catch a little bit of movement and stare in your direction. And you can, you can tell they're on edge. Like you can read the mannerisms of these deer and of these elk. You know, I can actually tell you what a mule deer is thinking by just looking at his horns or what an elk's thinking by just looking at his horns. If they're erratic turning side to side, if they're staring in my direction, I can tell he's on edge. And so then I'm just going to freeze and I'm just going to let things happen and let him go back to being a deer. Sometimes a, a cow elk will see me. And uh, I'll just freeze there. And and I've had to be frozen for 20 minutes, 30 minutes where I don't move. And eventually they kind of move off and move over the ridge and get back to being elk and I can get back to my stock. But this this freezing, this letting things happen, letting things develop, or like on a mule deer stock, if I kick a rock or I break a stick, I'm just going to freeze there. And I, I'm going to let 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by, and let these deer... Uh, uh, forget about that stick break so I can continue my stock. It's it's so imperative to be able to freeze and be able to slow play these stocks because if you keep pushing, like a lot of times uh, one of these ungulates will hear a stick break or they'll catch a little bit of movement. They'll stare in that direction and they want to confirm what they heard or confirm what they saw. So if you make another noise while they're on edge or if they catch movement again, then they're gone and the gig's up. And sometimes they just catch too much movement. They know something's wrong and they're out of there anyways. But a lot of times you can get away with it. But it's important to slow play these stocks and your brain's going to be screaming at you. Hurry up. Get to this spot. Get a shot. Uh, it's, it's just to slow play them is even better. Like my mindset when I'm going on a stock is that, um, you know, that deer may be gone by the time I get there, but I'm not going to be the one that screws it up. And the longer you can play the game, uh, the, the more apt you are to arrow this buck or this bull. So even if I, it takes me too much time to get close, but they never hear me, they never see me and they work over the ridge. Well, I'm still playing the game. The deer doesn't know I'm hunting him. Now I can stalk over that ridge or maybe it gets dark. I don't get a chance that night, but the deer was never spooked. So I'm going to get a chance at him tomorrow. I'm going to relocate him again. I'm not going to blow him up, blow him out of there. I'm going to really slow play these stalks. So keeping the element of surprise, the wind, um, guys, you have to get a higher understanding of the winds and how they move through the mountain range you're hunting. Uh, my, uh, I'm always trying to further my wind knowledge. And so there's thermals and directionals. I know I've talked about this on the podcast. So if this is a repeat, uh, forgive me, but, um, it's important information. So thermal winds, 
as the sun comes up and it heats the valley floor, it heats that ground around the valley floor. As it heats that ground, that ground begins to heat that air. As that air heats up, air starts to rise. And so then that air will rise up the canyons and coulees and find its way to the top of the mountains. These are thermal winds. So that's an uphill thermal. So right at daybreak, uh, you usually have a downhill wind because the air has been cold all night long. So the opposite of that is like as the mountains and um, the higher elevation elevations start to get shaded uh, that ground starts to cool the air around that ground starts to cool and that air starts to fall that's a downhill thermal so in the morning as the air heats up uh, it starts to rise and usually the rising thermals start at around eight or nine in the morning and as the thermals are fighting themselves and switching around from the shaded uphill side to the 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 sun um where the sun's hitting the valley floor and that air is, air starts to rise, it's kind of fighting itself and it can be really fickle. Um, so that's not a great time to hunt uh, animals or make a stock is around 8, 9, 10 in the morning when these thermals are switching. Uh, if it's hot and sunny throughout the day, the, the thermal winds will rise and become consistent. This is a good consistent wind. This is why I like to hunt afternoons. Um, the directional wind, there's usually a dominant directional uh, side uh, so you can look at, on your weather app and see what they're forecasting for wind. Maybe it's northwest, 7 miles an hour. Maybe it's south. So you can kind of read which way the wind's going to move through the range this way. And then uh, um, as these um, directionals start to pick up, like they get heaviest in the afternoons, it's one of the reasons I like to stock muleys in their second bed or their afternoon bed is this directional wind really helps cover my, my noise moving in. Um, as far as directional winds, uh, there's a, a, a leeward side and there's, oh, I forget the term for it, but a, a strong wind side. So the leeward side is the back side of the wind. So say I've got a south wind, this would be the north side of the hill. And the wind just gets over the top and it's just a washer machine on the top third of the mountain. It's really tough to kill bucks on a, a, a leeward side uh, of the mountain if they're living there because that wind just keeps coming down and changing and so I have a tough time killing bucks on that um, the opposite of that is the strong wind side where it's a south side and I've got a south wind or an east wind blowing across it or whatever the case is this is a strong reliable consistent wind and what I like to do when I'm stalking is I like to get these two winds working together so it's not just checking your wind checker because the wind can be totally different on the hillside you're looking at than the hillside you're standing on and so I do use wind checkers, but I'm taking notes of the winds throughout the hunt while I'm on the vantage point, um, taking notes of uh, the forecast and which way the winds are going to be. I have this this higher understanding of the winds, and I'm constantly learning about it. Like hunting different species and different habitats will sharpen some of these skill sets. Like hunting coos down in the desert really improves your glassing skill set. Uh, hunting bears in the mountains really improves your, your wind knowledge and uh, how the winds move through the mountains. I mean, same as hunting mule deer elk, but more stocks have been busted by the wind than anything else. This is one of the key elements for me to decide whether or not I'm going to stalk is what is the wind doing. Uh, so, 
I, I try to uh, predict, I try to um, uh, take tabs, take notes on the winds, and, and really try to know what the winds are going to do. Uh, the, the next thing I'm going to look at is the ungulation and topography. And a, a guy that's really good at stalking can use the smallest of anthills to hide his approach. And you're trying to stay out of sight of these deer. Like, sure, you can use trees and branches, but just remember that they can catch movement through these branches. It's best if you're using a hillside or a rise or a a, a a lull and you just get really good at using any ungulation antelope are one of those species that that uh, improves your stalking skill set of using ungulation because they live in a lot of open terrain and a lot of flat terrain and so you get really good at using the smallest little rise or the the smallest little lull to be able to sneak up on these antelope so Use the ungulation as your stocking, element of surprise, slow play these things, and just be patient. It's important not to stock to failure. I see so many new hunters that stock to failure um, where they get a stock on an animal and they just keep moving closer and closer and closer inside their effective range. They keep moving closer and then they bust the animal and he goes out of there. That's stocking to failure. What you want to do is keep the element of surprise, stock inside your effective bow range, and then wait and let things happen. Or sometimes I can't even get that close. And so, you know, I'm going to get 100 yards away or 150 yards away in striking distance. And then I'm just going to wait for that buck to move to a better position or that bull to move to a better position. And then I'll close in there. Uh, I'm slow playing it. I'm keeping the element of surprise and I'm not stalking to failure. So uh, if I get inside of 50 yards, 40 yards of a mule deer, I know I can make that shot. It's not worth the risk for me to keep moving into 20 yards. Now, sometimes the topography will allow me to get closer and bow hunting is all about getting close but it's important I don't want to bust this animal out there or I don't get a chance and so I want to stalk inside my effective range and then I just want to wait uh, the deer don't know I'm there eventually they're going to get up and I I also like to let the deer make the last move like I love shutting shooting a buck in his bed uh, but it, it doesn't always happen for me that way. Like it probably only happens 10% or 20% of the time, uh, that I get to shoot a buck in his bed because a lot of times I just don't want to overly expose myself and give myself away trying to get the shot. I don't want to move to my left 10 yards to get an open shot at that bedded buck because there's such a chance of him being able to catch me because his head's exposed as I move 10 yards to the left. So I'd rather just sit, uh, where I'm concealed, where he doesn't know I'm there and then let this buck make the last move. Let the buck get up and walk out from those trees. And these bucks, when they get up, they're going to look around for danger right away. Uh, and, and then they'll start feeding and go back to being a deer. And a lot of times these deer will look right in my direction, but I can read their mannerisms. And I know this deer doesn't see me. I know I'm camoed in the mountain. He may be looking in my direction, but he's looking through me. Um, so I'm, I'm really going to slow play these as I'm getting my shot. I also want to make sure these animals are not looking at me as I draw my bow. Now there's a time and a place. Sometimes you get picked off and the deer spooks and he's 40 yards and he stares back at you or he stands up and I know this deer's got me and he's 40 yards away. And what I'm going to do in this case is I'm going to move like the hands of the clock and I'm trying to get my bow drawn with him looking at me. I'm going to bring my bow up as slow as I can. I'm going to draw as slow as I can. A uh, little movement so I don't blow them out of there. And there's a lot of times where I'll get away with that. But in a perfect scenario, uh, you're, these deer don't know you're there. They're feeding around. I'm going to wait till no deer are looking in my direction to draw my bow. And I'm also going to not force an arrow. I'm not going to force an arrow through branches. I'm not going to force a really tough angle on this shot. 
Uh, I want a good broadside or quartering away animal. Uh, these animals are the toughest on planet Earth. And so if you make a bad angle, a quartering towards shot, not that you can't kill one in a quartering towards shot, but I can't get through that shoulder. It's too tight of a window. So in, unless that deer elk is under 20 yards and I can put it right in the front of them, I'm looking for a better shot. I'm looking for a quartering away or broadside shot. And I'm going to be patient waiting for it. Like it's amazing. The more I bow hunt, the more I realize how much time I have in bow range and the more comfortable I am in that scenario where I can just slow play it and be patient, wait for the right angle, wait for the right shot, wait for the right distance, wait for no animals that are looking in my direction to draw my bow and, um, and, and then execute my shot. Um, it's important, like shooting it at an animal is like a car crash and it's really tough to remember. And all you guys are hunters out there. Like, you know what buck fever is and you know that the first time shooting at an animal, you didn't look at your pins or didn't even line up your peep or whatever it is. I like to, to keep, um, conscious in my shot. Like I like to talk myself through the shot. And so as I draw back, put the pin where it needs to be, here we go. Pull, 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 execute. And, um, they die the majority of times if I can do that. And not that I'm immune to missing. Uh, like missing is part of archery and learning from it. But this is my process that I've learned over the years so I can be clutch when I do get chances at these shots and put a perfect arrow in these animals. And so uh, before I draw back my bow during the stock, I'm thinking about this shot execution. I'm thinking I may get a chance. And um, I, I've messed up these scenarios in the past and I try really hard to uh, stay conscious in my shot process no matter how big the buck no matter how big the bull I want to execute correctly and uh, go through my sh my shooting process and uh, not rush my shot or the worst thing I can do is have my pin find hair and go now you know and so uh, the difference between making a bad shot and a good shot is maybe a second it's just putting the pin where it needs to be letting it float and executing a good shot for me that's that's my process but um just some tips and tidbits that you guys can think about about stalking uh, as we wrap up this podcast, solo podcast. So I know I had a lot of my life stuff in here. The why hunt was really fun. Uh, some stalking advice for you guys. And I'm going to sit down and record the species specific podcasts that are coming up. And um, man, I, I just uh, thanks so much, you guys, for uh, support with everything. And um, man, I just. Um, it, it means the world to me, like to be able to have this podcast and be able to, to share my life and share my hunting with you guys. Like it's absolutely amazing. And I don't take this opportunity lightly and just want to bring you guys the absolutely best content that I can, that I can bring you that really helps you in your pursuit of these animals. And, um, man, fall is coming. Let's go live some life. Let's go live some adventures and let's go get after it and hopefully arrow some critters along the way. It's going to be super fun. So uh, again, thanks so much, you guys, for the support. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening into this um, podcast. And with that, uh, check in with you guys next week.